some of our best sex that we've had lately and did not involve either, but we didn't have orgasms, but we had, you know, for an hour and a half, this really, really yummy, juicy, slow, explorative connection that was like just all over the place. And it was just, there's so much there. Hi there. I'm Kelly Tennant. Welcome to Ceremony Wellness, where we integrate modern healing and ancient wisdom. Learn from the most impactful voices in health, wellness, and spiritual development as we guide you through the latest healing remedies and alternatives to the traditional path. I'm here to support you as you break limiting patterns, embrace your wild, and let go of the noise. It's time for us to rise together. I've got a good one for you today. I hope you are ready because no topic is off limits with Amy Baldwin, my new BFF. I found this amazing woman through Connor a few months ago. He told me about a podcast that she co-hosts called Shameless Sex. And I thought, hmm, I wonder what I could get out of this. Let me tell you, I have gotten everything I ever wanted never knew I needed, and more. Amy and April, who host the Shameless Sex Podcast, are so incredible. I love the way they educate people on their bodies, on sex, on communication, on how to really step into your sexuality and all the things that go around that conversation. And so I was so excited to sit down with Amy in Santa Cruz a few weeks ago and really get into it. And I had so many questions that I've never really felt comfortable asking other people. And we covered a lot of topics. This is an exciting show. We get into morning sex, orgasms, sex shame, somatic therapy, communication, masturbation, owning our sexuality. We really get into all of it because I feel like if I have the questions and I'm not sure at 31, maybe a lot of you have the same questions and you don't know who to talk to or you don't know who to ask. Amy is one of those people that you could literally ask her anything. She doesn't even bat an eye. She just looks at you and then gives you the answer and never feels, makes you feel bad about it or shameful. She truly is an incredible educator and woman, and I'm so grateful to know her. She also owns Pure Pleasure Shop with her mom, which is pretty cool. It's a sex shop, guys. And I didn't even know that something like that could happen. And I love that she has that relationship with her mom where... Not only do they educate people, but they also create a really safe space for you to go in and find sex toys and figure out what works for you when you're alone or with a partner or whatever it is that you want to get into. So I actually bought something from them called the Womanizer. And I love this thing so much. (laughs) You should probably own it. I'm just saying, if you're a woman, you should probably get this. If you're a man, you might want to buy this for your lady. It's pretty awesome. Uh, And you can support the girls by using the code SHAMELESSPP at checkout. You'll get a discount. And I just want them to know how much our community loves them. And let me tell you something. If you get the womanizer, it's the one thing you will not regret in this life. Before we get into this episode with Amy... I want to tell you guys about Live. We are coming up on about three months out from Ceremony Wellness Live. And this is my event that I'm having on October 5th at the Hummingbird Temple here in Los Angeles. It's up in the hills of Hollywood. This house is absolutely unbelievable. It has a ceremony room. It has an incredible backyard. There are hummingbirds literally everywhere around the house. And I'm bringing together all of my favorite practitioners, healers, speakers, 
boyfriend and all my friends to basically hang out for an entire day and teach you all the things that we know and help you heal and give you tools and resources so that you feel like you have a true community in real life that you can lean on and feel seen and heard and understood. And we want to meet you. We want to have you there. And we'll have more conversations like this. We actually have a sex panel at live. I can finally announce it. So if you want to join us on October 5th, you can go to kellytenant.com slash live to get your tickets. I want to see you there. I want to hug you and I can't wait to meet you. All right, let's get into this episode with Amy. And don't forget to find Amy and April at Shameless Sex Podcast on Instagram. Here you go. So Connor and I were talking about coming over to chat with you. And I was like, I don't know, we even know where to start. As I was just <laughs> telling you, I haven't had anyone on the show to like really dive into sex and mm. sex education and what that looked like. And um, coming from somewhat of a conservative background. And I think that there is such a stigma around sex and so much shame. And obviously your show is shameless. <laughs> sex. I would love for your perspective on where that shame showed up in your life and how that sort of led you to where you are now and being able to teach on it from such a confident, beautiful place. Yeah. Well, I was raised in a a different way than most folks. I grew up in Santa Cruz, which I can't say that everyone in Santa Cruz was raised the way that I was raised, but I was raised... And I I wouldn't call it a progressive household either because my dad is quite the uh, conservative NRA hunter type. Ah. Um, you know, Born and raised in Santa Cruz, fourth generation Santa Cruzian and one of those people who's like, I hate Santa Cruz. It's not what it used to be, <laughs> which is not how most of Santa Cruz is. Most of Santa Cruz is pretty progressive. Yeah, My mom somehow married him. If you met the two of them now, you'd be like, what the hell? <laughs> uh, my mom has always been much more open-minded, uh, had a really traumatic childhood, a lot of uh, sexual abuse that she's very open about. Mm. She's done a lot of work around it. And somehow, even even before she had done a lot of the work around her sexual trauma, she when she got pregnant with me, she I was a planned child. She decided that she was going to raise me with the utmost self-love and worth, self-worth. Wow. Um, and, and just show up for me, not like spoil me, but she, I mean, she read all the books and all these things. And so I was raised by uh, a, a very present, loving, accepting, wonderful mother who instilled a lot of that self-love and uh, by a somewhat present, playful father. (laughs) I got my humor from him, Okay, but I don't share a lot of his other views on the world. Mm -hmm. And part of that with my mom was that um, sexuality was not a shameful thing. Mm -hmm. So when I was 13, I wasn't sexually active. I think I made out with a couple of people or something. And she didn't talk about pleasure and orgasm, but she did tell me that whenever I wanted to become sexually active, that I could come to her and get on birth control. So I knew from a very young age and I didn't start having penetrative sex until I think I was 16. So that was three years before that. So I knew it's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I can go to my mom. And so I knew about safer sex and I had comprehensive sex education and my public schools here. And even with my dad, when I was 16 on and I had boyfriends over, we were allowed to be in my room alone and he, he didn't, he could care less. And that's actually like, was a gift. And also one of the downfalls is that he just doesn't care a lot. Yeah. Um, and so, so I do have some daddy issues. Yes. But, don't we all? <laughs> yes. But then I, I, there also wasn't this shame. He wasn't like, I have to meet them and I don't trust them. And, mm-hmm. and so I was raised with this idea that sexuality wasn't a shameful thing, mm-hmm. I, that it was a natural thing that I was going to do and that 
you know, because my primary caregivers were supportive and on, on board, then I knew that it was okay. And then when I did decide to, to become sexually active, I went to my mom and and told her kind of bashful, mom, I think it's time. And so I got the um, birth control. And I can say that um, I'm now 34, that all of my 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 sex that I've had has I've been on some form of either use condoms or some sort of form of um, birth controlly thing because of those early messages I think mm-hmm. that that taught me that that so I'm really grateful for that I do really wish I had more messages about pleasure because the shame piece uh, for me isn't around being sexual uh, or you know, or having sex or, or intimacy with with lovers and partners. The shame came from peers and more so and from not being taught about my body's capability for pleasure and or that I was also just as entitled to it as my male counterparts mm-hmm. that I was having sex with. And so my first couple people that I was sexually intimate with, we would have sex. I think I would go down on them. They never went down on me. I didn't ask for it. And it created this story in my head that... Um, I'm not blaming them at all, I, but I but I know that this contributed to the story, this issue with receiving, mm-hmm. with um, and that became has been an upward battle my whole life of of constantly having to do work around receiving, around asking for what I want, around not always being the caretaker and the pleaser, and I think that goes beyond that too. I think that women are in the Western world or and a lot of the world, honestly, are are so cultured mm-hmm. to be caretakers. So. I, I would also say that my upbringing taught me that it be, it's safe to talk about these things. So I already had a knack for talking very openly about these things. And I didn't understand sexuality at all. I was like, what the hell is this? I didn't understand my body. You know, I, and I didn't understand it's an orgasmic process. And so that's what really got me in, into this is I already had this openness around sexuality and I had so many questions. And so that's why I decided to choose this as a career. And I chose it at 18 years old. Most people don't figure out their path at 18. Yeah. I took a human sexuality class and I was like, I love every second of this. I have so many questions. I want to keep learning about this. If I'm going to go to school for so many years, I should go to school for something that I want to continue learning about. So that's what I did. That's so cool. Yeah. I was um, talking the other day on the show and I had never really brought this up publicly, but I figured out how to masturbate at five years old. Oh, lucky. I wish I did that. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back, I'm like, okay, I guess that's good. It's I don't awesome. Know. I'm, yeah. I'm happy about that. Except that situation, I remember going to my mom and being like, look what I can do. Mm-hmm. Not knowing it was like a like, bad mom, thing. look at me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm so rad. Yeah. And it was like, oh, we don't do that. Yeah. And it, she didn't try and shame me. And she wasn't like, that's bad. Or yeah. you're a bad girl. But it was like, oh, we don't do that. And then I remember being in like kindergarten, first grade, sitting in class and like touching myself, having my hand on my pants. And my teacher would like be like, no, go to, go to the bathroom if you need to deal with yourself. Mm. And so I think that it created this idea of shame and not being comfortable touching myself. Mm-hmm. I was not able to touch myself during sex mm-hmm. until maybe a couple years ago. Yeah because I felt like it was a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And I came to my mom when I was a similar age and and I had a girlfriend who was older. She was like in fifth grade and I was in first grade. And Mm -hmm. I said, mom, I know what sex is. And she started laughing at me and she's like, oh, do you? Do Mm -hmm. tell. I told her everything. I do all the things that were happening (laughs) with sex. And she was like, oh shit, you really do know what sex is. And then that was it. Mm -hmm. And it was like no further conversation. And so I think about this now and I'm so curious from your perspective of 
we don't talk about pleasure. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about why masturbating leads to orgasms and why that feels good or how you can have that with a partner. It's very just this kind of like taboo. Let's not talk about it, brush it under the rug. Why does that happen? And mm-hmm. how can we alter those conversations so that kids are being taught all the things that we need to know? So I'm, we're not 31 just mm-hmm. now figuring this shit out yeah. from your show. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I think a lot of it, it's been going on for so many years. I mean... Oh, there's the Victorian era has had a lot to do with it. Freud had some things to do with it. He had some wonderful things to do with our current day ideas about sex, but a lot of it is related to religion, you know, the Bible, to um, the times, to uh, the patriarchy. And we got in trouble on our podcast for saying fuck the patriarchy. Oh, when we say fuck the patriarchy, everyone, we're not saying we don't like men. We're saying it's the, the system that was designed primarily by some upper class white men that may have decided uh, the rules around sexuality that you might not think apply to you, but really a lot of the things that are, you believe around sexuality are probably modeled around that. And um, so it's really, really old. And it's these ideas that this thing is sinful. You know, sex is sinful. It's only designed for, you know, marriage to make babies. And, and so there was a time before all of that, when those rules weren't there, and I'm sure every culture maybe still has certain ideas about it because it's the most vulnerable act that you'll you'll yes. do with someone. Uh, but for the most part, there were these large institutions, whether it's the church or the government or whatever that is, that um, really wanted to control bodies. They Originally, they needed to control bodies to make more people. You know, it wasn't population, or, or there, maybe there's population control to control the people you, they don't want more of, mm-hmm. or people that they do want more bodies. A lot of those rules and regulations are around, you know, get married, have babies, so we have more soldiers and more farm workers and all of these things. And so sex became more of a business and and same with marriage you know marriage was designed as a business arrangement it was not not originally designed for love and joy and pleasure mm-hmm. that's a modern day thought around sex around marriage and so that stuff just still lingers here and we can see it all over right now especially with what's happening in the country currently with a lot of these anti-abortion things that are happening like it's 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 wild how many states are popping up with these anti-abortion things that are are all based on some old belief that is still here for a lot of people, and I know people have their morals and their beliefs, so I don't, I don't want to get on my soapbox and tell people what they should think. But I will get on my soapbox and tell you that you shouldn't tell me what I think mm-hmm. or what I should do with my body. But yeah, it's it's just it's deeply, deeply ingrained in all of us. Even me, you know, even me who was raised with these progressive ideas, there still is this old stuff that comes out. And I, you know, I haven't always been this good at talking about sexuality so openly. It's a skill because I wasn't doing it when I was younger and, uh, and, and it wasn't until I got older that I started practicing these things. So it's, it's like learning to ride a bike. You know, the more I practiced it, the easier it got because I hadn't been practicing it since my childhood talking about sex openly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then once I started doing it, you know, I remember when I learned to say the word pussy, I like the word pussy, everyone. Um, but I remember when I learned to say the word pussy without feeling like a little weirdness around it. Yeah. And uh, I had to say it multiple times in, in many different sentences and because I wanted to embrace it. And, and, and because they're all the words for anything that had to do with the vulva, vagina were all words that were kind of like, none of them feel, feel good or easy to say. So I had to practice saying these things and then it became normal. So normal for me, meaning like a natural thing. So it's all a practice, but mm-hmm. and most of us are just out of practice. And most of us are out of practice because we were taught 
that we aren't supposed to talk about this because of the old institutions. Mm -hmm. How can we... I have so many moms that listen to the show and I'm sure they feel similar to us in the way you know we have had to work through being more comfortable talking about sexuality. So when you have a little girl, I'm thinking specifically of one of my girlfriends who has an eight-year-old daughter right mm -hmm. now. How do you go about equipping your daughter... Mm -hmm to make sure that she understands not only what sex is, safe sex practices, and also the pleasure aspect of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's... Uh, if you look online, there, there are a lot... There, there's, there is a lot of information that specifically says the different ages in, in which children can comprehend certain bits of information around sexuality, right? So you tell a four-year-old about certain aspects of sex, they're not going to, to get it, but they can understand the difference like, okay, well, some people have these body parts and some people have these body parts and some people have these other body parts and these are what these body parts can do. And But they won't really understand a lot of like the, the emotional, energetic stuff behind sex and the, that exchange just doesn't doesn't compute with their, their brain capacity yeah. where they're at. Uh, so there's different ages that you can share things. And so when it's younger, it's more about like the body, you know, it's more of a, about what they can actually see and, and understand. And as they get older, then you can start to talk more about like the psychological, emotional aspects of sexuality. So an eight-year-old can understand most things at, at that point. You probably won't talk to them about like kink and fetishes at that point, but, <laughs> but they'll understand things around, um, you know, about love and relationships and um, certain aspects of that. And then when it comes to, to masturbation, you know, you talked about your story about mm -hmm self-pleasuring at five, you know, in the perfect scenario, you would have self-pleasured and gone up to your mom and said, mom, look what I can do. And she would have said, that's great, honey. This is, so this is yours. You know, this, this is your pleasure. This is something that feels really good to you. And that's, that's totally okay. And here's the, the places that are the best places, the safest place for you to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, not probably not at school on the playground because there's other kids there and, and you know, for whatever reason, not the best place, but in your room, that's okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, or maybe if some parents are like, you know, I have, I have a friend who has a four-year-old son and he watches cartoons and, and kind of plays with himself at the same time. And she just watches and she'll let him do it for a little while. She's like, I don't want to shame him. I don't want to shame him. But, you know, after 20 minutes, she'll be like, okay. And I won't say his name, but okay. Okay, honey. I think, I think that's enough playtime for now, right? And if you want more playtime, you can go in your room. But right now we can, if we're in the living room, it's cartoon time. Mm -hmm. And he's like, okay. And so along those lines, I'm right. like, this is normal. This is healthy. This is natural. Here are the safe places to do that because we can't all walk down the street diddling ourselves. It would be very distracting for other people and it's not consensual because they didn't consent to watching us self-pleasure. Mm -hmm. And it's also okay, but here's the places to do that. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, and then conversations around pleasure, you know, an eight-year-old girl can comprehend the ideas around pleasure as well. At that age, again, a four-year-old would not really be able to get all of the logistics around it. But, you know, and you can ask them questions. Oh, when you do that, what, what do you feel? Does that feel really good? And so just allowing them to understand that that's theirs, mm -hmm. you know, and, and uh, yeah, everyone can feel this. Uh, everybody has the ability to feel this. And this is, a, this is a gift for you. Like, this is a really wonderful thing. There's just certain places that you get to share that. And then there's also other, another important conversation is 
um, with other people. You know, this is yours, right? And so you get to have this for yourself when you want it. No one else gets to give this to you or mm. or do this to you unless you say it's okay. This is your body. Yeah. Um, so I think those are some of the more important conversations. And then you can add in things about like, you know, gender and or orientation and all of that. Um, and because young people, a lot of people will say they knew by the age of five that they were you know, gay or whatever that is, or trans or there, and they didn't have the word trans, but that in their brains, but they're like, I don't feel like I belong in this body. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just more awareness around that. I love that you brought up sort of that consent piece and no one's allowed to mm-hmm. touch you unless you say yes mm-hmm. and very clear cut no and what boundaries look like. Mm-hmm. And so many people have dealt with whether it's sexual assault or rape or being molested mm-hmm. as a child. How have you seen that affect people in their sexuality and the lack of boundaries or awareness around that being an okay thing to just mm-hmm. say no? Yeah, se- sexual trauma what, and not having messages around uh, our own boundaries, you know, the our own agency with our bodies um, sets people up for sexual trauma. And sexual trauma can happen in a lot of ways. It can happen from non-consensual acts of sexual violence, meaning we said no and it still happened. Mm-hmm. Um, or we weren't even there to say no. We weren't even present for it. We weren't uh, conscious. It can also happen from uh, compliant sex, which I think is is even more common. And I don't know one woman who has not had some sort of compliant sex where they were getting an internal no, but they didn't say anything about it. And maybe it wasn't a screaming no, but they were getting a a message of like, this doesn't feel quite right. This doesn't feel good. or This kind of hurts, but I don't want to kill the mood. I don't want to be, you know, the hysterical woman, or I don't want to lose the love or the affection if I say anything, so I'm not going to say anything. And again, that comes back to old... And I know I can't... That's not just women, but I know that... Um, I I believe that women are dealing with that more so than men uh, because it's just built into the caretaker culture for yeah. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So, but sexual trauma, you know, someone experiences... Has a, a, a sexual trauma that happens in their life, you know, at any age, you know, there's a a book called The Body Keeps the Score. It's a wonderful book. It's not necessarily a fun book to read, but if you want to learn more about how the body retains trauma and the way to healing the trauma in your body is through the body. It's not just through the mind. You need to work with both. It says, you know, your body remembers. You have this traumatic experience and then it on your body and then it signals something to your brain. Then your brain literally shuts off in certain ways or rapidly fires in other ways. And then we remember, we remember in our brains and our bodies remember, and then we get touched again or we touch ourselves again. And all of a sudden we're numb or it hurts or we disassociate or there's so many things. So I think sexuality is the easiest thing to target and hurt in someone. Mm. It's so easy. And people have been using it to target and hurt, like especially with, you know, with rape and, and mass rape that has happened all over the world for you know, hundreds of years in various communities. It's often one of the first things that happens to start hurting people and communities. It is repairable. You know, if someone has sexual trauma, doesn't mean they're damaged and broken forever. They were, they're not damaged or broken. They just have a lot of really hard work to do now. Mm-hmm. That's really unfortunate because, you know, most of them didn't choose that. And so what I see more so is it's just a lot of disconnection from the body. The body becomes really unsafe to be in. And they can't just press a button to all of a sudden be there, right? Mm-hmm. So on our podcast and our workshops that we do... Um, 
we have this online workshop. It's called Wild Women Sex on, on, on our Shameless Sex website. And so all these videos and, and, um, and little workshoppy things on how people can, uh, female identified folks can have more sexual empowerment and juicy aliveness and connection to their own bodies and to other bodies. And in that we say a part of it is presence, right? You have to be here in your body to experience all the yumminess of sex. But if you have trauma, you can't just be here in your body often, right? So for those people, that is its own side work with whether it's, you know, a Hakomi therapist or some sort of somatic therapy, you know, EMDR therapy, or there's even hands-on sexological body workers or people who specialize in somatic release for trauma uh, or work around trauma. And they need that first to, so to learn, okay, my body actually is safe for me to be in. Mm. And then from there, then they can do all the other tools. But until you do that work, until you get... And your body may never become completely safe, right? Like, you know, this is part of our story. Right. But we want to come to a point where it doesn't have control over us anymore, right? Like, I maybe I have some sexual trauma and someone's touching me, but I've done work around it. And so I no longer disassociate or completely shut down but I still feel like, oh, there's my thing. I see that tendency, but I can still be here through breath, through presence, through outing it to my partner. Oh, I'm starting to maybe disassociate a little bit. Can we just slow down and stop mm-hmm. and breathe together? Can you just hold me for a little bit and then we can proceed? Um, so there's, there's, it's, there's so many ways, but it's, um, it's, a, it's a journey and it's mm-hmm. a big one for people who have a lot of trauma. Do you feel like utilizing your partner to help you heal that trauma is super important. And like you were saying, communicating, breathe with me, help Mm -hmm. me through this, but also just saying, you know, I don't really like when you do this because it makes me feel this. Mm -hmm. Maybe take it slow or try it a different way so that it's not triggering. And maybe I can work through that with you because I know that I'm safe with you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think our partnerships, whether it's with sex or just any, any stuff around our childhood, they're they aren't the place to heal all of it because because that's too much pressure on, on the partner and that's a lot of like parental projections, but they are great uh, opportunities, great places to do some of the work mm-hmm. together. So it's important for us to do our own work and take accountability for what is ours. So in that conversation, you know, and saying, you know, when you do X, I feel Y, you know, when you touch me this way, I shut down. And that's mine, Mm -hmm. right? So I think that's the important thing is yes. My answer is yes. Sharing with your partner about what is going on for you in your journey, whether it's throughout the process of of touching and being touched and or before and after, which in fact, I think you kind of have to have both, Mm -hmm. right? If I just share with you while we're touching, it can, it can, partners can shut down because they can be like, I'm doing it wrong, I'm doing it wrong, right? So it's important to have the conversation when people are have their clothes on and they're in great spirits and they're not in a hurry to go anywhere yeah. and you're not in public and you know, somewhere where you can just sit down and be like, Hey, so this is my journey. You know, this is my stuff that's happened in the past. This is what comes up for me at times. This is mine. And it, but it comes up me, with me here with you mm-hmm. and it's not you. It's not personal. Yes. There's the thing that's happening here that is inspiring this feeling, but this feeling is really old and, but it comes up. So here's what would really work for me when it does come up. Here are some things that you can do. Or, and here's some things that I would like to feel safe saying when it comes up. Here's some signs that I know of that my body does when I start to disassociate or, mm. um, or shut down or whatever mm. that is. Um, and, and then partners work together on that. And through that, because, you know, the body keeps the score. 
the way that we learn to, or that we, that we heal is through experience. It's not through reading all the textbooks that yeah. told me all the things to do. I've done that, man. Yep. I still have questions. So yeah. <laughs> it's having experiences that remind you that you are worthy, that you are safe, that you are loved, that you don't have to comply, that people will slow down when you ask them to slow down. They will touch you in the way that you're asking for and not in a way that you're not asking for. Mm. So that's what shows up in partnership. And they, you know, they do it together and they, um, and I know it, it goes the other way. I think a lot of people often think of this happening mostly for women asking their uh, male counterparts. I'm not assuming all people are in heterosexual relationships, but I think people often think it's more so women with more sexual trauma. And yes, they they do. That is true. The statistics yeah. are ridiculously high um, and I don't, don't know them perfectly, but I think it's like by the time women by the age 18, one in three will have sexual trauma and one in six uh, penis owners will. So yeah. it's huge. Mm-hmm. Something that has come up for me, I've ha- I've done two weekends of ayahuasca ceremonies mm-hmm. this year. We just got back from Connor's yeah, retreat. It was yeah. amazing. I was like, yeah, Connor is post about like, I love you, baby. I was like, oh, oh. I love when men preach how much they love their women. Oh, <laughs> he's, I'm so lucky. He's such an amazing man. That's sweet. But something that's come up for me through ayahuasca is really learning how to reconnect with my body and Mm. be okay. Not just like touching myself in masturbating or pleasuring, but in that way, but like just touching my own arm, Mm -hmm. rubbing my hands over my stomach and down my legs and over my chest and feeling comfortable in that way. And I I don't know what was happening my whole life, but I was so scared to do that. And it felt like in, in a big percentage of the ceremonies, I was just running my fingers over my body in just such appreciation in a very kind of sensual way and reclaiming that ownership and that power. Mm-hmm. And then I would get up and I would dance for like four hours yeah. for the rest of the ceremony. I was whipping my hair around <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck is happening? Like I'm like this wild woman that mm-hmm. has been caged for so long. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in that I was healing a lot of my own sexual trauma and reclaiming that power, but it wasn't about anyone else. It was all about me coming back to myself and allowing myself to be free and no longer suppressing that aspect of me. And I just, I kind of feel, and I don't want to speak for everyone, but I kind of feel that's like what we've been doing. It's Mm -hmm. just suppressing this like wild woman who wants to be free, who wants to be sexual, but we never allow her out. Yeah. I've, I've had that happen multiple times in ayahuasca ceremonies too, where I'm just like letting my hands are going on these places and and I'll have that thought of, I don't ever let myself do this Mm -hmm. at home or or in private or in public where I'm just, it's as if my hands are someone else's that is, you know, adoring and nourishing my whole body mm-hmm. in this sensual way. And then I would leave there like, I'm going to do that more. And then I don't when yeah. I do <laughs> I Although I, I do when I go to um, ecstatic dance, I will, I will often do that there. There's something about that space that really seems mm-hmm. to give permission for that. But I agree, agree that is a, that is a form of returning back, mm-hmm. I think, to what has always been there and something that we've turned off. And I love using the, um, the image of, and you see little two-year-olds, the little pleasure seekers. All they want is things that feel good. Like you think, you learn about Tantra, like two-year-olds are pretty tantric. Maybe with not like the ritual aspect of Tantra, but they are fully present for all the yummy things. They're using the body senses to only do the pleasure stuff. Mm. And that's what they want. It feels good. They put it on the genitals or they put it in their mouth, whatever it is. Like that's all they want. It doesn't feel good. They don't want it. And, uh, and, and then they get all these messages of, you shouldn't do this. Don't do that. Yes, no, or you're bad, or this is you know this is what bad girls do or bad boys do, and so then they 
conform and they change and they turn those parts off and they shift. And I understand that some of those messages are important, right? We need to learn uh, how to keep our bodies safe and how to keep other bodies safe and respect other our bodies and other bodies. Uh, and some of them are not. Some of the messages are are harmful. Mm-hmm. And so we are kind of taught to disconnect from our sensual embodied selves. And we live in this crazy busy culture where it's just like, go, go, go. Everything is designed, not everything, but most things are designed to be very uh, heady and busy, mm-hmm. which isn't a lot of time spent slowing down and in your body and connected to it. So I think that's a, that's a really important practice. Uh, we just did for shameless sex on our Instagram, we did a, um, a masturbation may campaign. I saw that. That was yes. amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's, we've done, we're doing these, these campaigns that are, uh, are inspiring people to participate, but they send us these photos of themselves with that little, little piece of paper. Mm-hmm. It's anonymous. You can't see their face, but it says that I think at 10 words or less, their experience uh, throughout this campaign. So this was 30 days of self-pleasure. What we asked is that for 10 minutes a day, particip- participants self-pleasure with no goals. So uh, people automatically think, oh, in 10 minutes, I have to have an orgasm. That's hard. Or I always have an orgasm 10 minutes. That's easy. But we're like, we're not even talking about orgasm here, people. We're saying self-pleasure and it might not even involve touching your genitals. And there's no goals. There's no sex toys. So you're not using vibrators. There's no porn because the idea is that you're just present with all the sensations to see what feels good, what's there. How can I connect in a deeper way with my body and my sensuality? And uh, it brought up a lot for people. We have so much mixed feedback from people who... Uh, it was very challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and the requests that we made don't, there are limiting for people like folks with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certain aspects of of that request, like folks with autism. It's very hard for them to put into words their experience. So our request to hold up that little sign, we didn't even think about that. Yeah, That's very hard for them. Uh, folks with physical disabilities often need vibrators or certain sex toys to be able to um, self-pleasure. And at the same time, that's we're not talking about orgasm. We're just talking about feeling and connecting. Right. Um, but we saw through that, the people that participated, it was hard for a lot of them to like to stick to it. And a lot of them got that. They, the biggest thing was like, wow, there is... When I slow down and I get out of my head and away from the goal and the place I need, I feel like I need to go, which is orgasm, there's actually so much here, so much yummy connection that I've just been like masking or um, limiting myself from feeling because of the way I've been living and what I've been taught. Mm -hmm. It's been really, really powerful, really cool to see. Yeah. Something that came out of ceremony too was um, this idea of wanting to explore more with Connor and not be focused on the end result Mm -hmm. of having an orgasm and making sure that we're both coming. But like exploring each other's bodies and really feeling into each other. And when I was in ceremony, the first night was like a full orgasmic uh-huh. night. And I was like, this is epic. Of course, night two, yeah. I went into the fucking yeah. like depths of hell and wanted to die. Yeah. But night one was great. Yeah. And we were having sex during mm. ceremony. Like I could mm. feel him on top of me mm. and inside of me. And I was like, whoa, this is so crazy, but so amazing. Mm. And the whole time it was slow mm. and very exploratory. Mm. We were just feeling each other's bodies. And I think that so often we're focused on the end result of wanting to orgasm, even when we're self-pleasuring. And I was listening, I don't know who you guys were talking to. Maybe it was just the two of you the other day on a show talking about not focusing on that mm-hmm. and really just getting into the experience and the journey and allowing whatever happens to happen. Mm-hmm. 
how can that benefit people mm-hmm. and not focusing on that? You, you Well, you end up feeling more when you're not in... Because when we're focused on the goal where we need to go, that means that there's already a part of us that isn't here. Mm-hmm. So there's a part... Even if we're somewhat present here, there's a part that's really set on something that hasn't even happened yet. Mm-hmm. So that in itself is limiting to experiencing pleasure and even connection. Connection is very much based on presence, right? It, for me to be really, truly connected with someone, I have to be here entirely. The more I'm here, the more connection we can have. And the less I'm here, the harder it is for us to go deep. Mm-hmm. And that includes physical connection, emotional connection, intellectual connection. Uh, and so, yeah, so it's it's a powerful way to, uh, to when you don't have goals and you're just focused on the sensations and the the connection here, you have more connection, more pleasure, more everything. It just makes things more juicy and alive. And a lot of times what people see is what they experience is, is that there's just, there's so much available, but they've been bypassing it mm-hmm. with the the quickness. And I've been, I've been doing a lot of work. Masturbation May for me was my own self practice. And as well as I've been working with sexological body workers who've been doing some hands-on vulva mapping and and touch on my body that um, the intention isn't for them to like get me off for pleasure. It's not erotic massage. It's a learning of for, to one teaching me to, to fully receive and ask for what I want. They'd never put a hand anywhere unless I say, put your hand here. Mm. And and then with a minute, I, I, I say to take your hand off. They take their hand off and then they wait for me to ask for the next thing to do. Wow. Um, and then... And then also I learned so much through... The, and the way they touch is just... Sometimes they're just a lot of holding, actually. Like they're... They, one person I was working with, they had were holding their finger on the... Um, like the bottom part of the opening of my vaginal canal. And it was actually probably inside the vaginal canal. If you, it was a clock and 12 o'clock is the top of the vaginal canal and 6 o'clock is the bottom, either at 5 o'clock... Or at seven o'clock, so this mm-hmm. on the two bottom to sides of the bottom part, about maybe uh, half an inch in, I realized I have a lot of pain there. Oh. I had no idea because I've been moving either quickly or just moving towards like what felt good. But that pain has actually been there for years. And the, as I started to slow down with that touch, uh, and so they would do that, they would hold the finger there. And then as they were holding the finger there, the intention is that the the, um, the inflammation or the pain can learn to go away over time. Mm. Now I have my own self-practice where I'm doing the same thing. And it's still there, but it's like, it's getting easier to work with. And now when I'm intimate with partners, it's the same thing. Um, my partner, um, we actually just so just separated last month our, of our five and a half year uh, journey together amicably. And it's it's wonderful. And we still are intimate at times. And now he's doing this for me, right? Like now, he now, and so I'm able to teach him. Wow. You know, here's what I learned in this vulva mapping session. Here's how you can touch my body. And here, and I'll even show him on my anatomy. Here's the parts that actually have pain and feel kind of like a burning sensation. Here's the parts where there is a lot of pleasure. Here's how these places like to be touched. And so then from there, we he's been able to, to, to provide me with these healing sessions that don't have goals and aren't about him. Mm-hmm. And also we've been able to incorporate in our playtime where it's just us following the thread. And now whenever I feel something, oh, that part right there, I'm feeling actually isn't feeling good. And he's like, okay, let's let's find something else. We switch positions, and like, oh, that part now is not feeling good too. And it's so he's had to do a lot of work about not making it personal. Mm-hmm. 
and not him go, internalizing, oh, I'm bad and I'm wrong. And, um, and so it's, it's taken time. We've had to do a lot of work around that in conversations, mm-hmm. but when, if you can get to that point, there's so much available there. And some of our best sex that we've had lately and did not involve either, but we didn't have orgasms, wow. but we had, you know, for an hour and a half, this really, really yummy, juicy, slow, explorative connection that was like just tr- all over the place. And it was just, there's so much there. Mm-hmm. What is the point of vulva mapping? Vulva mapping. So there's vulva mapping, there's penis mapping, there's anal mapping. And, um, and so from my understanding from what I've learned from sexological body workers is it's designed to uh, learn and heal. Uh, so the, the intention is to figure out, to, for, to teach you through someone else who really understands the anatomy, um, to teach you what parts of your, of your body have um, numbness, tightness, pain, a lot of pleasure. And so through them, because it's, it is easier, you could read a book and be like, okay, I'm going to go try this vulva mapping thing, but it really is easier to have someone guide you, their guide mm-hmm. and a teacher. And it's an embodied hands-on way of guiding and teaching. And um, so, and so it's a conversation. It's not this like passive massage yeah. where they're touching your genitals <laughs> um, and they're not trying to touch you to the point where you have an orgasm. Like if that happens, that might be a part of it, but that's not the intention again. So it's not erotic massage. And mm-hmm. Some people might categorize it as sex work, but it really, in my opinion, is not um, sex work. It is, it's educational. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, people leave there with coming in, they're feeling broken often. Like, you know, my body feels numb. I can't have an orgasm or sex hurts. I, I have no desire or whatever that is, or I ejaculate too quickly, in my opinion, um, and so they do work around that to learn more about their bodies and have more understanding and then therefore kind of control over their bodies and mm-hmm. more tools on how to nourish their own bodies and become more empowered and asking for what they want. So it's really, really powerful. Their sexological body workers are all, are all over the world. Uh, we have a lot in the U.S. I probably not in, like in the middle of Utah, but yeah. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, Salt Lake City. There's a gem yeah. in there. Yeah, for sure. Salt, yeah, there totally is. <laughs> but okay, maybe Iowa. I don't know. But um, and but they they are really great, especially if people are are coming in there feeling really lost, mm-hmm. right? Like that's how I when I started doing that work, I was was feeling lost. You know, I talk about sex all the time, but again, I can read all the textbooks. I know all the things. My body doesn't agree though. Like if my brain knows all the right things about sex, I'm like, okay, if I just did this, then I'd feel this. But my body needs to have the experience of it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I can't always figure out how to get it there. And I get in my own way. So by working with someone or having a partner that is on board to do that work with Mm -hmm. me, then I can learn to get there. And then I have those experiences. And then all of a sudden that becomes the new default. I don't know about you, but we're talking about sex and orgasms. And I feel like this is a great moment for me to sort of work in a conversation about non-toxic perfume. Doesn't feel off topic for me. It actually works perfectly together because I want to spritz on some perfume and smell really good before I go out on a date or get frisky with Connor. And he loves the smell of it too. So I want to tell you all about the fragrance that I love that doesn't make me sick. It's from a company called Fleur. You've probably heard me talk about it, whether on the show or on my Instagram. They're my favorite. It's spelled P-H-L-U-R. They're based in Austin. This company is so next level, run by a husband and wife. Eric and Cynthia are 
everything. First of all, they come into this and they bring so much energy and excitement into the non-toxic space. They care so much about education when it comes to the products that we use, the things we put on our body, the things we consume, the standards that we set for what we are allowing in our lives. And the reason I love Fleur is because not only is their stuff beautiful, the packaging, you won't even believe how pretty it is. It's the standard and the effectiveness at which you get the product. And it works so well. It smells beautiful. I wear it every day. I also have all of their candles all over my house. And it's really the only fragrance that I use anymore. And I'm so grateful because I couldn't use fragrances for a while after finding out that I had hormone issues and my endocrine system was being disrupted by all of these chemicals, I didn't know what I could use. And when I found Fleur, I was so excited to not only find a brand that I really love that smells amazing, that also has the highest standards in the whole country. They are only putting the best stuff in there. And they're all about making sure that we are healthy and not getting inflamed and sick from stuff we put on our body just because we want to smell good. I'm all about it. So here's the best part. You can go to kellytenant.com slash shop, find Fleur, use the code KellyT for 20% off all their products, including the sample fragrance kit. And then you spritz it on yourself and then you go get frisky with whoever you want to get frisky with, including maybe that's by yourself. Do what you want. Enjoy and thank you to Fleur for constantly supporting this show and being a part of my everyday life. Love you guys. Something that I had a a lot of shame around for a long time was the fact that I couldn't come just from penetrative sex. I had to have either touching myself or him touching me. And I've never just come from that. And I thought there was something wrong with me. And then listening to your guys' show, clearly there's not Mm -mm. because it sounds like it's more of the norm of what I go through. Um, So many of my girlfriends though can come just from penetrative sex. I'm like, fuck you guys. (laughs) Teach me all the ways. Yeah. What is the deal with that? And why is that such a hard thing for so many people? The idea that that, um, all female bodies should be able, all women should be able to, or vulva owners, I'll say, should be able to orgasm from penetrative sex is, in my opinion, the patriarchy's Mm -hmm. idea because it pleases the penis. It makes the penis feel worthy and like they know all the things and they did it themselves. And really, but, but if you look at where most of the nerve endings are on a vulva, it is not generally, and everyone's different, right? But the majority of vulva owners, their nerve endings are concentrate, concentrated externally. So either around the labia or the labia minora, labia majora, and especially the clitoris. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the penetrative sex that people are having is based on what we see in porn, which is a lot of thrusting in and out that actually misses, does not hit a lot of the places where all those nerve endings mm-hmm. are. Uh, and so that's how a lot of people are trained to have sex or are having sex. Um, and and even before porn, I think that was still a thing because in that kind of sex, the penis still gets all of its nerve endings covered because they're all around the head of the penis. It's all external. It's much easier to get to. And so, yeah, I, I am the, the same as you where I have had orgasms from penetrative sex. They are, I've had different types of orgasms. It is much more challenging. It depends on the type of orgasm. I can, 
ejaculate very easily from penetrative sex. But I, but that to me, that's just like a release. It's not coming with that like euphoric, mind-blowing, transcendent mm. thing. I have had those orgasms from penetrative sex, but they're uh, rare and harder to obtain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also have some friends who like just having a cock inside of them feels absolutely amazing. I'm like, that is not my experience. Yeah. I need so much more than that. In fact, having a cock inside of me when my body's not ready doesn't f- actually feel good. Mm-hmm. My body takes a lot of warm up. So I'd say everyone is really different in terms of what their body likes. And a lot of it is based on their experiences and the conditioning and mm-hmm. the imprinting. Some of it is also based on anatomy where if you have a lot more nerve endings concentrated internally, maybe it's easier for you to have an orgasm from penetrative sex. If your clitoris is actually lower, closer to your vaginal opening, then maybe penetrative sex can actually hit your clitoris mm-hmm. more so than someone like myself where my clitoris is, is actually... my One of my sexological body workers was like, wow, your clitoris is like its own world. It's like, <laughs> it's like, like up here and your lips are down here. And I'm like, I mean, there's they're still somewhat close, but typical thrusting wouldn't hit it. Right. So... It's more of a grinding motion. It's more of what positions can I be in control of so that my clitoris and my nerve ending areas are getting rubbed on in a way where my, the people I'm having sex with still get pleasure too, mm-hmm. as opposed to just letting them do all the thrusting that they learned in porn. Mm. How can we ask for what we want without feeling awkward. Yeah. Well, I think the first part is embracing the awkward. (laughs) Knowing that it's never an easy one or uh, an an easy conversation. And I think it's really important to have those conversations with lovers and partners before sex, right? So instead of just diving into it, like say it's a new lover or partner and you haven't already talked about, about talking about sex, during sex or before sex, talk about it before sex and don't wait until sex when don't know how people are going to handle it. Mm-hmm. So, um, hey, I I have an understanding somewhat of what my body likes. How are you with guidance? You know, what kind of guidance would feel good for you? Or is there certain things, ways that I can say things that will feel easier for you to take in? I Do you do okay with guidance? You know, for me personally, as someone who's now uh, single, like I'm, I'm going to be one high maintenance human to, for people to... <laughs> We want to have sex with me because I'm going to be like, even before we have sex, I'm like, okay, this is where I'm at. I'm not having any compliance sex. I'm not tolerating anything. And the minute something isn't feeling good, I'm going to, to speak to it. If there's certain ways that will work for you, for me to speak to you that are going to um, feel better for you, then let's talk about that so I can mm-hmm. incorporate that in. But this is really important to me. And, and, and also my body's really complicated. And what I've been learning over the last month about my body is that what I want and what feels good is changing almost every like 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And you know, if I really slow down and pay attention to following the thread, it's constantly changing. And like one minute, you'll, there'll be a finger on my G-spot and it's feeling really great. And then all of a sudden my G-spot's like, take that finger off. And now like put it over here. And then there's a finger on my clit and I'm like, and then rubbing it this way. And then no, no, actually this way. And that's just where I'm at right, right now. Why do you think? Because I'm slowing down and listening. Ah. And and I can't say that that this is the same for everyone, but I've been moving. I've realized, even though our tagline for shameless sex is go slower than slow and slower than that, I've been going slower than slow, but I haven't been going slower than that because I'm noticing that as I'm really slowing down even more and just following the thread for pleasure, meaning I'm not thinking 
what should feel good or, okay, this feels good now. So this will feel good in, in a minute. Let's keep doing this. I, instead, I'm actually really paying attention to every sensation and unhonoring what shifts and, mm-hmm. and actually speaking to that. So the, to the answer to answer why or how the, to have those conversations is really having them before sex, finding the language that works for both people to be able to speak to it. Um, and, and really both, or however many people you're playing with, maybe you're playing with more than two people, then really also committing to we're going, we are going to, to speak to this. This is a safe place for us to speak to what feels good and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And here's the ways that we're going to say that and giving everyone permission to do that. Uh, if you just dive in without those conversations, it's it's tricky, especially for people who aren't used to having lovers speak to what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know for people such as myself, where receiving can be hard when I'm with a partner who really honors that, you know, is and it says, you know, thanks me for speaking to what I want and, and goes slow and checks in on me along the way. Oh my God, that's like so reaffirming and healing for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think if you're not speaking up for yourself and you're not asking for what you want, then there's that resentment that mm-hmm. builds. And then it really takes a toll on every part of the relationship. And I've been there because I never spoke up for myself. I was just kind of like laying there like, yeah. give me what you want. Well, whatever like, you think I want. Yeah. yeah. And so I never said like, I'd like to try this or can we move into this position? And something that I've noticed that I've been doing with Connor that I never have done before is after we have sex, I'm like praising him for Mm -hmm. all the amazing things that he just Mm -hmm. did. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because I feel like he truly understands what I really like. Mm -hmm. And even if there was something that I didn't really like, I don't feel like I necessarily am addressing that because I'm just really like, I loved when you did this. Mm -hmm. I loved how you touched me there or pushed me there. And it feels so good. And there's so much positivity around it that I feel like the response is more of that. Um, and then that becomes the focus. Yeah. Yeah. You all, if we uh, appreciate and, and praise and highlight what feels good, we're probably going to get more of it yeah, too. And then, yeah. it, and then they feel good. And yeah, I, I would say that's, that's great advice. You know, speak to everything that feels good mm-hmm. as much as you can. It, it only will do good things for everyone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and when things don't feel good, if you, if it's available to lovingly speak to, to that as well, uh, because that will also mean that you won't necessarily, that you probably won't get the touch that doesn't feel good too, right? So that'll, I don't know if I said that right, but that'll make it more likely that you will get the touch that you want. Uh, but yeah, I think, and that's a, such a wonderful thing. I think sharing appreciations with lovers and partners in sex and just in relationships mm-hmm. in general goes such a long way for so many reasons. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful practice. Yeah. So I'm such a morning sex person. I'm almost mm-hmm. just, I'm, I'm a morning person in general yeah. and I like to go to bed early. Like mm-hmm. if I could, I would go to bed at eight o'clock every night. <laughs> like an yeah. old lady. Yeah. But I'm not one that's like, yes, let's have sex at night. Mm-hmm. If I could do it in the morning and the afternoon, I'm very into it. Is yeah. there a reason for that, that people like that more? Everyone is is so different in terms... I think a lot of it does have to do with lifestyle, mm-hmm. right? So again, if you're a morning person, then that makes sense. And some people who aren't morning people don't like morning sex because they're not morning people. Mm-hmm. Um, I know people that used to like nighttime sex, but then when they had kids, they became more morning people because scheduling changed or they became afternoon people or whatever that is. So, and I, I will say that uh, there's there's just different different ideas. Like for me personally, I... Let's see. It's very interesting. I am more of a either afternoon or evening sex person 
And that's just based on where my body's at because in the morning it takes my body a long time to wake up, mm-hmm. like physically. So the arousal process for me is already very slow and long. So in the morning it's gonna it's going to be doubled, mm-hmm. meaning like it might take me 30 to 40 minutes to even really start to feel touch on my genitals. It's just like, it takes a while, but not everyone's like that. Yeah. And there's ways to work with it. Like we, that's part of relationship is we negotiate, right? So you have someone that's a nighttime sex person and someone that's a morning sex person. How do you work together? Because you, we don't want one person to completely give up all of their needs and desires. So you find ways to compromise, you know? So if my, say I'm not a morning sex person and my partner is, I'm a night sex person, you know, we would compromise by, um, okay, let's have sex at nighttime sometimes, but what does that look like? You know, for my partner, maybe that means, you know, by the time we're getting in bed, they're exhausted. So it needs to be before we have dinner or, you know, right after dinner, or we, we have light dinners or we skip dinners or whatever that is. And for morning, um, you know, for me, maybe morning sex is hard because my body takes a long time to wake up. So maybe it's not right when we wake up and roll out of bed. You know, maybe we get up and, you know, meditate. Sex after meditation is wonderful, by the way, because um, you're present. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe it's I have a cup of coffee and we meditate and then we have sex. And so everyone can still get more their needs met because we're working together as opposed to just like shoving someone, someone else's, you know, under the rug. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just a work, way of working together. Is there downside to scheduling sex? It can be, but it, I think it's also really important, especially in long-term relationships, busy lifestyles. If you have children, um, it's... Damn kids run over I know, there. they do. <laughs> they really, they change it all. It makes things really hard. Uh, and yeah, if you're, you're relying on sex to be spontaneous uh, and you're either really busy or you have children, that can be really hard. And what happens for a lot of couples is they start stop having very little sex really they're not they they start having very little sex they don't have a lot of sex anymore uh, and then and a, a lot of times people think that scheduling means that there's something wrong like mm-hmm. if, if we have to schedule sex it's not sexy there's something wrong with us um i get that like if you have it on the shared calendar it says we will have sex at <laughs> 7 p.m. on tuesday that's not sexy so at least use like the the eggplant emoji with the water yeah, next yeah, to make, it. Yeah, make yeah. it like kind of <laughs> kind of juicy and sexy or something. Or you schedule something that um, there's this, this couple that I know. They're in their fifties. They're on their second marriage, so they are each other's second marriage. Both have kids. They're all grown up. They um, had very ch- one one of them. Their their partner actually died. Their it was like their soulmate of mm. twenty five years or something. And the other one had a very hard divorce. And they were both not exactly looking for love, but they met at Burning Man in a very magical way and they fell in love and they're now they're married. They've been together for probably six or seven years now. And they schedule something called Sacred Intimacy Nights where once a week they have, it's Sacred Intimacy Night, but has no goals. So it doesn't mean that it's sex or penetrative sex or that genitals will even be touched. But what it means is that no matter what, unless someone's like has the flu or something, um, they do this, even if they're dead tired and they're trying to find all the excuses. It's like, nope, we're still doing sacred intimacy night. We're going to turn on the sexy music. We're lighting the candles and just see what's available here. And so, and so say we schedule that it's just from 7 PM until you know 9 PM is sacred intimacy time, no phones, no TV, mm. and just see what's there. And I think that can still be sexy. It's still scheduled. It's sexy. It's still spontaneous because we don't know what's going to happen there. 
um, and and maybe penetrative sex is a part of it, but also it, it makes it so that people don't feel pressure, like, oh, fuck, we have sacred intimacy and I, I have to have penetrative sex when I'm not really feeling like it. Mm-hmm. So instead I can arrive and be like, all right, no, I'm really just feeling like, can we just, you know, just cuddle naked and maybe just let our hands rub all over each other and just go with that for a while and then check in in 10 minutes and see what else is available. And maybe it just stays that way. Mm-hmm. And then, but maybe more becomes available. Yeah. I love that so much. That's yeah. so smart. Um, something that I felt a lot growing up was that anal sex was such a, a nasty thing to do or only slutty people did that. Mm-hmm. And it's my mind has changed so much over the last few years is the more I've learned and the more experiences I've had um, recently. And I would love your thoughts on why that is there mm-hmm. and why we feel that way, but also why it feels so good and what it can um, bring into the relationship and the intimacy. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll start with what it can bring in is that it adds more fun things to the menu, right? If you have your sexual menu of all the things that you can play with, and you know, you're meaning that there's say there's like you know a whole vulva and vaginal canal veil. Maybe there's a penis there too, but you, the ass is off the menu. Then your menu list of items to play with is a little shorter. Mm-hmm. You know, you add the ass and then then there's all these new things. We can use fingers, we can use toys, we can use mouths, we can use dildos, penises, whatever. So it just adds more options to the menu, and, and you know we like variety, mm-hmm. right? So we're talking about you know morning and evening sex. If you only had sex in the morning, you're a morning sex person, you only had sex in the morning for two years, you probably would want, you probably would get a little bored or Mm -hmm. like want something different at times, you know, and you have sex in the afternoon and all of a sudden it's super hot and exciting because it's a different time. Oh my God, the sun's in a different place. It's crazy. (laughs) Uh, But it really makes a big difference uh, as we habituate and habituation is natural and important because we feel safe when we get used to something, but we also get bored. Mm So, so there's that is just adding more things to the menu, more variety. The ass itself, like the anus has a ton of nerve endings. I think they say as around as many as your, your lips. So your lips and your face. So it's a kind of a powerhouse for pleasure in that where areas that you have a lot of nerve endings can feel a lot of pleasure. Um, and then, you know, if you go in through the anal canal, then in um, yeah, past the anal canal, like the tightness of the sphincter muscle, and then it kind of opens up into the rectum. Uh, for penis owners, they have prostates in there that can uh, are the embryologically the same tissue as the G spot G area. And for uh, vulva owners, you can often indirectly access the G spot through um, anal penetration. So there are, and then there's other aspects. There's other people again. Some people just get off to the idea of it, like like you're saying, it's dirty and taboo. Some people actually think that it's hot because of that. Like, yeah, it's dirty and taboo. So now I really want to yeah. do it. Right? <laughs> I want to do all the things I'm not supposed to do. So, or sometimes it can be like the ultimate act of being dominated or or being in, in submission as well. So there's a lot of reasons why. It can be hot for people. The dirty taboo thing, couple ideas of why. One will be the Bible, you know, that that sodomy. Sod- actually, oral sex is part of sodomy too. Sodomy is anything that doesn't make babies. Oh, interesting. So a blowjob is, you'd be a sodomite if you were caught giving a blowjob too. Um, yeah, so, and so, but anal sex is what we usually think of as sodomy. You can't mm-hmm. make babies from anal sex. And so it's praise wrong. Me. Yeah, praise be. Yeah. <laughs> it's wrong, dirty and sinful. Um, and so then, and so there's that. Um, and then I think also, you know, the 
pooping happens from the ass. So I think that that also creates that like that dirty aspect for people. And so I think that all these these aspects contribute to the different ideas around it. But um, but yeah, a lot of people just they make there's it's kind of like the butt of jokes. Haha, no pun intended. Actually, I did intend to do that. But um, it, that you know, anal sex is just. It, but the people I know that have anal sex that are having really good anal sex, they they love it. Usually, it's it's like kind of a project. Like it's not. Not like I have five minutes. Let's have anal sex. Yeah. <laughs> or like, all right, we have plenty of time. Mm-hmm. We have a shower accessible if we need to. Because we got ample amounts of lube. Lots of lube. All yeah, the ass, lube. Yeah, asses <laughs> and lubricate itself. So we're doing all the things right. So, yeah, yeah. And and again, I'm one of the people that um, I wasn't taught that it was shameful, but there was something about it being this like taboo thing. Mm-hmm. And and so the first time I had anal sex, I think I was like 17 or something. I didn't even ask my partner. I was like. I want to do this and I'm going to slip your cock in my ass. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they were like totally into it. Yeah. But it was the taboo of it. Mm-hmm. I was like, this thing sounds really hot because I think that it's rare or like I'm not supposed to do it or something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a way that you can turn the dirty, nasty, naughty, forbidden into something really hot. Mm-hmm. So for that or for introducing toys into the bedroom, mm-hmm. what would your recommendation be for people that are curious that maybe haven't played with that aspect of things to mm-hmm. just start introducing that into their own self-pleasure or with a partner? Yeah. Well, have a conversation with, with them. Uh, and you know, you can start it with something like, hey, there's something I've been thinking about that sounds kind of uh, hot or exciting to me. I want to gauge your opinion. Like, what do you think about this? You know, what do you think about trying... Um, about anal sex, about, um, you know, we just, and it's starting light, right? We don't have to go right into penetrative anal sex, but you can start with fingers. In fact, I think you should always start with fingers no matter if you're moving to penetrative sex so the relax the muscles. Uh, but to see if they're on the same page. I have had partners who just aren't down for anal, whether it's my ass or their ass. They don't, they're like, the ass is not on the menu. Mm-hmm. And that's, fine. I think in the long run, I probably wouldn't be a good match for those people. Not that I need to have anal sex all the time, but I like having a diversified menu. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's just me. And then I need to respect where they're at. And so just, just seeing with that, you know, what, what is on, what can we add to our menu and what's my menu and your menu and shared menus where we can try different things that we're both interested in. Or with sex toys too, same thing of like, you know, what, here's some sex toys that I've love to try out. Would you be into that? And there's this also this thing that is so prevalent still that uh, a lot of men are feeling like they'll be replaced by the vibrator or the sex toy. And I can tell all of you who does do have that fear that sex toys cannot kiss you. They can't cuddle you until we get artificial intelligence because that probably will happen. The sex toy truly is not a threat unless you're not kissing, cuddling your partner, then it might be. Uh, a threat. So maybe you should start kissing, cuddling your partner. Uh, but it's it doesn't change your anatomy. You know, I use a vibrator. It doesn't change my clitoris. It can change and um, make a new neural pathway in my brain that says, wow, I get off to this vibrator in one minute and it takes me half an hour with my partner. So I'm a really impatient human. And now I just want the vibrator over and over again. Mm-hmm. So that's why it takes balance. That, that applies to everything though, mm-hmm. right? Like this applies to food. This applies to drugs. This applies to exercise or lack of exercise. It's like, we don't want to overdo anything. And when we do overdo anything, we can get really hooked on it and stuck on it. And then it becomes work to unhook ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's just, that applies to life in general. Yeah. Um, and some people get more easily hooked than others. 
But I will say pleasure is pleasure, right? So if you're having orgasms from sex ways, and that's the only way that you have orgasms, if it's really not a huge issue for you where you're like shaming yourself, you have lovers shaming you, then fucking own that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're also someone who's, who really wants to add more ways of having orgasm or pleasure to the menu, and then you can do work around that. Um, but yeah, it's a, just a conversation with people. And it, the conversation that you have with partners is, I'm not doing this because we're broken or I want to replace you. I want to enhance things. It's the same thing of like talking about having an open relationship with a partner. Although some people do want to do that because something's missing. But a lot of times it's like, this is sounds exciting to me because I want to feel more alive with you mm-hmm. or just more alive in general. I want to enhance our connection. I want to enhance our lives. So here are some ways that we can do that. Is it from... Uh, adding kink to the menu, is it adding anal to the menu, is it adding different sexes to the menu, is it adding other partners to the menu, um, or maybe not. Maybe you want it to just be exactly as it is. But um, most humans I know, <laughs> you're the same person for 30 years. Unless both of you have decided that sex is not like a huge priority, which some people do, um, and some people are fortunate to get in partnerships with people who are on the same page with that. Mm-hmm. But more often than not, what happens is that one person, it's more of a priority than the other person. So you'll hit places where you all of a sudden see, okay, we kind of need to add some things to the menu now. When what is that going mm-hmm. to be? You know, what can we both get on board for that feels good? Should we want it to maintain this relationship? Yeah. I know you guys do like workshops on mm-hmm. blowjobs and things like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, and I would love because I know you've had guys come on and talk about what they like and Obviously, there's so many different types of penises out there and circumcised, uncircumcised, Mm -hmm. size, Mm -hmm. um, shape, feel, the whole thing. What things have you learned maybe in your own experience or from having your guests on that Mm -hmm. have shared these things and that you teach in your your seminars of the best things people can take and sort of implement into make that experience better and feel more confident in doing that? To pleasing the penis? pleasing the penis, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, the number one tip that we say is enthusiasm. So you show, if you show up actually wanting to be there, not faking it like this is the best when you really are like, I fucking hate this. Uh, No, not doing that. But to show up with presence and and really finding a way to want to be there if you're going to be pleasuring your partner. There's things that you can find almost always when you're giving someone pleasure. Like that in itself is high. Like, oh my God, I'm doing this. Their bodies, they're moaning and moving and shaking. And like, I am a badass because I'm doing this. And so really tapping into that. You need to be present for that to do that. So I would say uh, enthusiasm is, is key. And you can do that in a lot of ways. It's from the words that you say. You know, I... Like, I love sucking your cock. You have the most beautiful cock I've ever seen. I love the taste of your cock. I could do this all day. That one's a little bit of an embellishment, but it please works. Please don't make me do yeah. this all day. Uh, yeah, please don't make me do this. Usually, usually when you say I could do this all day, it actually will make it off very often that they won't last as long because they get very excited about that one. Yeah, they drop Secrets. in. Because there's they, they all of a sudden, whether whoever you say it to, all bodies... Um, they become more present, right? Because mm-hmm. they're so often they're in their heads. If I'm taking too long, I'm not going to orgasm. Are they even enjoying sucking mm-hmm. my cock or going down on my pussy? Um, but when you're the person that's pleasuring them, it's like, I love doing this. I can't get enough of this. Like, you just relax. I just want to worship and honor you. Mm-hmm. This is all about you. And I'm happy to be here. They're like, oh, all right. I, like, now I can really be here mm-hmm. and experience all of the yumminess. So I think 
it really comes down to more honoring and praising, you know, that appreciation you're talking about that you and Connor are doing it, but also doing it while you're pleasuring them and letting them know Mm -hmm. like, this is, I, I love doing this. I love providing pleasure for you. This is like such an honor for me. And if you feel aroused during it, uh, tell them that like I'm feeling my own pussy throbbing as I'm sucking your cock. They're going to be like, Oh my God. So, so that the enthusiasm, we can also uh, convey enthusiasm through our own moaning and noises through, you can smile with a cock in your mouth. Um, you can, you know, you can do all kinds of things. You can start touching yourself mm-hmm. to show, you know, I'm, I'm feeling really feeling like my own pleasure. Um, I think that's the big, the biggest thing, all the techniques that they're different for different bodies. Um, and so I think that the one thing that works every time to improve your blowjob game or any pleasure game is, um, is go, well, it's presence, but also enthusiasm to really authentically show up with, mm-hmm. I really want to be here. I enjoy this. And then uh, with techniques, I would say, um, communication, you know, and to not make, assume that you should know everything that they like, um, and that they are enjoying everything you like to check in with them. And sometimes that question, I know when people are pleasuring me and they ask, what, what do you like before they even start touching me? I'm like, I have, actually, although now I could answer it because of the work I've been doing for the last month on my body. But a couple of months ago, I'd be like, I don't know, just try some things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and it's a little daunting to be asked that question. But so some people have answers for it and some people don't. But to speak to it and, you know, to create a dialogue where you can speak to in, or inviting your partner and, you know, tell me what you like as I'm touching you, like what you want more or less if I'm not afraid to receive feedback. And then going really slow in knowing that um, that some penises can just handle a lot of pressure right away, especially with the way that they've been cultured from what they've seen in porn. And even those penises, when they experience really slow soft touch where there's not even like any like intense grasping, gripping, sucking. Um, everything is more like if you're using your lips, your lips are almost just like draping up and down over their mm-hmm. cock as opposed to like sucking and clenching around it um, and doing that. And then building your way up to more pressure and speed can allow them to a a more intense buildup, a stronger orgasm and they have one and can allow them to feel more sensation that they may have not felt from all the fast and hard that they've been even touching themselves with. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, we just, that workshop is usually two hours, so I can't talk all about it, but I think yeah. those are like the biggest pieces is just like really showing up with that, that, uh, that honoring. That's the biggest thing for me. If someone is going to pleasure me, the, the biggest things that they can do to really be the most badass lover is to show up and let like honor and worship my body. Let me know that they're not trying to take anything from me and that we can take as long as we want. Doesn't matter how I show up. Like what, if I have orgasms, cryogasms, whatever, that like they're just honored to be there with me and for them to go really slow and check in with me along the way. That's an amazing lover right there. Mm-hmm. Incredible. So I had my girlfriend on the show uh, a few months ago and we we're talking about this and she goes, I, I just don't let my husband go down on me. Like I'm mm-hmm. so scared. I What if I smell? What if I'm not like perfectly put together? Mm-hmm. I feel weird that he's having to go down on me. It takes me longer to orgasm, all these things. And she texted me last week and was like, all right, so I let him do it. And it was amazing. And I love this. <laughs> and 
I think that there's so many women that feel that nerve about like, what if it's not perfect? And what if he doesn't like the taste? Mm -hmm. How do we get over that and build confidence in that and love our bodies and let him figure it out and do the thing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there's another conversation there too. Like for that person, if she was already worried about that, like, oh my God, what if they don't like the taste of my pussy? To to out that before you have sex instead of pretending like, because you're thinking it, Right, while you're touching, you're, so that's there. So you might as well speak to it. Maybe not while their mouth is on your pussy. Yeah. Like, Does it smell good now? They're <laughs> awkward. But before to be like, hey, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm realizing that I'm really, uh, I have a lot of insecurities around you going down on me, mm-hmm. and I want to uh, invite that and, and enjoy that. But here's this, the inter- internal dialogue I have, um, and and so I'm wondering if we, you know, maybe we can create some reassurance around that, or like how you actually really do feel about that. Because if they do say like, yeah. I really find pussies kind of gross, then, then that's going to be, you're going to feel that even yeah. if they didn't say that, uh-huh. that you're picking up on something. Um, but you'll probably find that they're like, you know, you know, maybe as long as we take a shower before or maybe some people don't even like, some people like some sweaty pussy. Mm. You'll find that often they're on board and, mm-hmm. and then you can also invite them like, well, and reassurance will be nice for me. So maybe when you are going down on me, maybe you can actually remind me about like how much you love this or how beautiful my pussy is or how much you like the taste of it or mm-hmm. that you can't get enough of it. Like, just throw me some bones here and, yeah. <laughs> and we'll see. And that could be really helpful. Um, I, I think that that's... Uh, people are often pretending like they don't have insecurities around sex. Mm-hmm. They're just like, you know, I, I have to show up all strong and like I got it all figured out. But like, Deep down, we all know that you. Everyone has. Everyone's freaked out. Mm-hmm. Like, and not all the time, but like we're all going in and out of our heads and worried about our partners and what they think about us and our body and its performance or its look or whatever that is. And these, and because we have these set standards for what it should be, um, or shame around that. So instead of pretending like none of us have that, we're all super sex heroes, you know, superstars have conversations around that stuff beforehand. You'll share that that vulnerability so that we can take some of that weight off of our shoulders and w- take off some of those masks. And then when we go and have sex, we're like, all right, here's all of me. And oh, wait, there's my insecurity just came in again, but I'm gonna, going to out it instead. And like, let's work with each other on that and uh, help each other to feel safe. And all of a sudden, wow, there's a lot of pleasure there mm-hmm. that I was not seeing for most of my life because this was so scary. Yeah. Something that I've done too, and I feel like it allows me to feel more sexy, which then makes me feel more attractive. And then I feel like Connor is more attracted to me. And it's like this whole thing. It's like, I purposely walk around the house either naked or no top on or in my underwear. And it's something that I don't know. It just brings something different out of me and it makes me feel sexier. Mm -hmm. And it just changes the way I show up in our relationship and my own confidence. How can we play into that more and allow for whether it's putting lingerie Mm -hmm. on or putting something on that makes us feel really good that then kind of domino effects into our sex life. Yeah, I, I think it, w- the first thing would be getting clear on what that is for you, right? Like some women love wearing sexy lingerie and heels. I'm not one of those women. You're tall, so I don't know how you feel about yeah. heels. But I, I'm ginormous yeah, already. Yeah. I don't need help. Yeah, I mean, I put on heels. I'm like, eh, they just feel complicated. And yeah. um, and lingerie, I'm, a, I'm also kind of like a little bit, a bit of, I call myself a hippie hybrid. So lingerie doesn't really do that much for me. Mm. But so for me, my practice is is getting you know getting naked and getting putting on some sexy music and red lighting. Oh my gosh, I inv- I think everyone should do this. 
invest in a red light bulb. It will cost you $5 and put a red light bulb in, in your bedroom or somewhere where you, especially if you have um, a mirror there, like a full body mirror in that area or, or have one available where you can just like screw in at times, put on your sexy music, get in front of the mirror with the red light bulb, or you can have the red light bulb on when you're playing with your partner. But there's a reason why there's that song called the red light special and there's the red light district and there's the red lighting like tells your brain that it's sexy time and it makes, and it makes your body look so fucking hot. What? So you put on the red light and I'll get naked and, and get in front of the mirror and just let my, you know, move my body and let my hands go all over my body. And that's what works for me. But for some people, it is sexy lingerie, things that kind of contour your body Mm -hmm. and your curves. Um, So figure out what that is for you. And then, like you're saying, start to rock it more. You know, walk around the house in it. Even if you're not doing it just to to suggest sex, it it, to your partner, it suggests sensuality and sexuality to ourselves. You know, I would say... First, own it for you, and and then you can also bring it forth for a partner. But mm. what you have to really hone it in for you. What is what is true for you? What really makes you feel sexy and sensual? That is true to you uniquely, and then start to practice that to um, to get confident in it with yourself. You know, in front of the mirror, just walking around and experiencing it. Yeah. Then you bring it forth to lovers and partners. Mm. Um, and but you have to really embody that uniquely to you first. Mm-hmm. You hear that, babe? We're going to get red light a, red, bulb. a red light for our bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> get, get on it. Amazon right now. Yeah. Order that pink. $5. I know. I got <laughs> the easiest thing you can do for your sex it's, it's a make, make, When I do my self, sexual self-care practices, also known as masturbation, but a lot of my masturbation doesn't even involve my genitals these days. I, or not always. My hands don't always make my way there. But if I'm not in the mood for it, I'm like, I'm just like, I would rather watch Netflix. <laughs> but I need to do this because I'm committed to it. I put the red light bulb in, some sexy music. It's just like, it's impossible to ignore it. And oh just my like, God, it happens. so crazy. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So you were talking earlier about an event you guys having have coming up. Yeah. What are you guys doing? So in early August, I uh, it's either like the third or the fourth that weekend. Uh, we, April and I are going to Salt Lake City. Speaking of Utah. Yeah. I love Utah. <laughs> where all the sex workers are. <laughs> yeah. Utah's awesome. Well, that's where, yeah, they're in, in Salt Lake City. Our fan base, our shameless sex fan base out there is massive. And we teach workshops all over, you know, teaching San Francisco and Santa Cruz, very progressive places. And they do well, but Salt Lake City sells out and people are so excited to see us. They're so hungry for it out there. Wow. And we've only taught taught one workshop there, but it was it's was sold out days in advance. People were there like, oh my God, like people are crying, oh. and it was amazing. And so we're going back. Uh, this is so this is 2019. I know this is an evergreen product. So I don't know if you're listening to this in 2025. Sorry. Um, maybe we're still You're teaching. welcome. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the first weekend of August of 2019, Salt Lake City, we're teaching at Blue Boutique on this, that Saturday night. We're teaching a. Um, are we teaching oral sex for everyone or orgasms for everyone? I'm confusing the two. I think it's orgasms for everyone. Um, so it's an orgasm 101 class for all nice. people. And then the next morning, we're teaching blowjobs and brunch. So Love that's that. just for female identified folks in the morning. So that will be a morning thing where we're all having brunch and mimosas and doing a blowjob class. I mean, that I'm just excited. sounds dreamy. Yeah. I'm I love that. Yeah. It'd be fun. Get together with a group of female identified folks. So yeah, to learn more, you go to blueboutique.com or our website. It's on there at shamelesssex.com. We have a workshops area that has um, the link to that as well as our online workshop, the Wild Women Sex Workshop. And, yes. you know, and we're on all the apps and all the things too. So good. Thank you so much. This yeah. is 
amazing. You're so fantastic. I seriously I listen to your show every week. Oh, I'm obsessed sweet. with you guys. And I think I was telling you earlier, but being 31 and not knowing so many things and then being able to listen to your show. And I think for so many people, you don't even have to admit you listen to it because there's a lot of shame and kind of awkwardness around it, but you mm-hmm. learn so much. And I think so many of us can take that and implement it into our own lives and have more confidence and not feel like we're so alone. Yeah. Um, like I was saying, so thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm glad you guys passed through town. Yes. Yeah. Thanks, Connor. <laughs> 